Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. I just wanted to kind of say before I kick off into the parable that we're talking about this morning, um, that if you're anything like, if you've had the kind of week that I've had this week, um, it's been a bit difficult, it's been a bit sad. Um, It's just so good to get here on a Sunday morning and be able to every week just come and worship Jesus and meet with God, no matter what the week has been like. So um, yeah, just wanted to say that you are so welcome, no matter how your week has been. Um, It's, yeah, always good to kind of see everyone and get to be with you all. Um, Yeah, so... We've had some amazing um, talks so far on what the kingdom of heaven is like, looking through some incredible parables. And this morning we're looking at one in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18, um, which is commonly known as the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, I love a good uh, parable. I love a good story. Um, And the ones that Jesus tells are all incredible. And I've loved kind of coming back to them as an adult and relearning about them again. Because when you look at them as a kid, you kind of take them at face value and think, oh, that's not me. Like, this is for everyone else. And then you get to them as an adult and you suddenly feel really convicted. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is me. Right, what do I need to learn from this? Um, And this was no different to me. When I've spent time in this parable, it's been really challenging, um, but also kind of really reassuring at the same time. Jesus is really good at doing those things, like reassuring and challenging all at once. Um, so I'm going to read out the parable and then we'll crack on with learning about it. Um, so we're going to read from the NIV translation. John guessed right when he put that one up. Um, so what I'm saying should match what comes up on the screen. Um, so it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So on the face of it, really straightforward teaching, right? It's a teaching on who is justified and who gets to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you look at the Gospel of Luke and this chapter of Luke in particular, um, it's not quite the same as other parables we've looked at, for example, from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus kind of leaves us to guess a little bit about what the meaning is and what the intended message is. Luke gives us the context of this parable at the start and at the end. He tells us who Jesus was speaking to, and at the end he summarizes what we're meant to take from it. So I could kind of just sit down here and leave you to get on with it, Um, but I'm not going to do that. Um, So if we look at the wider chapter of Luke, it does give us even more context to just what Jesus says um, and just what Luke tells us about the people who are listening to this particular parable. So Luke 18 starts with the parable of the persistent widow. So if you've not read it, this is a parable where a widow basically harasses a judge into giving her justice. He does what she asks him to do, not because he is good, but because she keeps going back time and time again and asking for justice until she gets it. And Jesus ends that parable by saying, how much more will God give justice 
to those who ask him because he is good. And then God, and then Jesus leads us into this parable, which is, again, about who is justified, who gets to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we move on to stories about people that Jesus met. So Jesus went off somewhere and people started bringing their children to him. And the disciples got a bit upset about this and told them to take their children away again. And Jesus turns around and says, no, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You must be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus meets a rich young ruler who says, essentially, I've been following God's laws since I was tiny. I've done everything. Basically, please tell me that I'm justified. Is there anything else I can do? And Jesus says the one thing that he doesn't want to hear, give away your fortune, leave your family, come and follow me, then you'll be justified. And the young ruler can't do that. He, he can't make that sacrifice to do what Jesus tells him. And Jesus says how difficult it is for this rich young ruler and those like him to enter the kingdom of heaven because they can't give up the one thing that matters to them the most to enter my kingdom. And so we see with all these stories in these parables that Luke does kind of give us context and link them all together down this chain, right? He tells us who they were intended for, why Jesus spoke to them, and he recaps at the end what the intended lesson is. He kind of puts it into some easy-to-remember sentence so that even those who would have heard this when it was read out to them after it was written down, would go away remembering, oh, I remember what the point of this story was. And so what that means for us is that the difficulty with these parables, the difficulty with these stories, it's not the interpretation. We're not left in mystery. It's the difficulty is in actually putting them into practice. The difficulty is in learning about them and learning from them and thinking about what it means for us. And so when we go back to this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus leaves us in no doubt about what it means. And he contrasts very, very clearly the Pharisee and the tax collector. We know who we're meant to be like, even if it's not who we expected. The Pharisee and the tax collector represent two forms of power in that society at the time. So the Pharisee is religious power. He would have been the head of his local community. He would have been someone that everyone looked up to. He would have known the rules and followed them closely. And the tax collector might not have been doing any of those things. He was seen as a betrayer of his people, but he represented civic power. So the rulers at the time were the Romans, and they employed tax collectors to tax people, and they took way more money than they needed to for the most part. The tax collector would have been seen as an enemy of his own people. But he still represented civic power because if people didn't pay up, he could have had the Roman soldiers at the door straight away. There's a lot of power behind that. And yet, we're meant to leave feeling like we should be like the tax collector. The Pharisee appears not to be justified despite knowing on the face of it what he should do. He knows all the rules down to the finest points. If you've ever heard preaching about Pharisees before, there were hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of minute law codes that they would have known all of and added a few hundred to over the course of Pharisaism. He would have known all of them. And he, this guy's saying, I follow all of these things. Aren't I amazing? 
But that's exactly it. He misses the point. He misses the point of what these rules are meant to do, which is bring him closer to God and humble him before God. He has the actions. He doesn't have the heart behind them. He also belittles others to make himself look and feel better. He literally points at people around the temple, including the tax collector, and says, thank goodness I'm not like him. God, aren't I amazing? And so while initially the Pharisee might have been the person that Jesus' audience would have identified with, they would have wanted to be like him, we're left at the end not wanting to be like that at all. And for the audience who were there listening to Jesus, they might actually have felt quite insulted by this because they've grown up knowing this is the person I'm meant to be like. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, no, you don't want to be anything like this guy. So bringing that up to date for what that means for us. For those of us who have been Christians for quite a long time, if we're honest, we probably recognize ourselves in the Pharisee. We might fast, we might pray, we might give tithes. And While we're doing all all those things, we probably think, I am nailing Christianity. (laughs) Probably not out loud. We don't say that bit out loud very often. But there's probably a part of us that thinks it. We might even sing a bit louder in church or worship really ostentatiously. Confident that the better we look worshipping, the more God hears us. Which isn't true right we know that's not true but sometimes that's what we lead ourselves to believe that the more we go for it the more God hears us and if we have any kind of knowledge if we have some kind of qualification in theology I'm one of those people and I do like to bring it up every now and again um, if even if we've just read the bible a lot we really do make sure people know about it when we talk about God in the bible It sounds a bit ridiculous when I say a lot of this stuff because I'm talking about the most extreme version of it, but I think we all do these things to an extent. And when Jesus is talking about the Pharisee, he's giving an exaggerated version of what the Pharisees were like. He's not necessarily saying this is all of the Pharisees all of the time. And he's not necessarily saying to us, this is what we're all like all of the time. But even a bit of the time, we still do this. And yet the tax collector is the one who leaves justified. So let's switch to look at him. When I was reading this parable, I found it a bit odd that we never see the kind of Zacchaeus moment this tax collector has. So if you know the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He met with Jesus. He had a change of heart. He left changed. And he ended up giving away all of the money that he'd stolen back to the people he stole it for, from. Sorry. Um, And we never actually see that from this tax collector. We don't actually see the action that followed the change of heart. We never see that he gives away all his money. Um, And given that story and a lot of the rest of the New Testament in particular, I would expect that a meeting with God like the tax collector has had in this parable, parable would result in some major outward changes. But the point of the tax collector being justified in this parable is that the focus of the parable remains on the kingdom of heaven and not on the tax collector himself. It's not about the earthly outworkings of this change of heart. It's about what God is doing in this man's heart. That's the important bit. And actually, Jesus' audience would probably still have hated the tax collector, given he was still, you know, this this guy who represented an oppressive regime. Um, He probably made a lot of money off that as well. 
the hatred that people would have felt for him is kind of understandable. And Jesus doesn't tell people not to dislike the other stuff that this guy stands for. He doesn't tell them not to dislike the empire or the oppression or the money stealing. He just tells them that that doesn't stop the tax collector entering the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't stop him being justified. Because the kingdom is about the heart of the person, not about the way they live on the outside. Although that is still important, so don't hear what I'm not saying here. (laughs) This parable tells us that the tax collector meets with God from the heart and the Pharisee is performative. The Pharisee probably gets what he wants from those who watch him. He probably gets a lot of celebration um, and a lot of kind of social capital off the back of standing up in front of everyone and proclaiming how great he is. He does get what he wants out of this interaction. He just isn't justified before God. Whereas the tax collector isn't bothered about who is watching him. He doesn't even react to the Pharisee pointing him out and saying, thank goodness I'm not like you. He's busy meeting with God, and at the end of it, he's justified. And we see this played out later in the chapter in that story of the rich young ruler. The ruler is unwilling to give up his financial and social standing to access the kingdom, similar to the Pharisee. So I wanted to give you guys a historical example of the transformation that the kind of heart change we're talking about can bring. Um, I wanted to give you the the example of a guy called Martin Luther who was around in the 1500s. Um, Some of you might know who this guy is, some of you might not. Um, Slightly scary picture in the background so you know what he looks like. Um, So Martin Luther was a monk in the Catholic Church in Germany in the 1500s. The Catholic Church was pretty much the only church. There was a bit of dissent, but it got shut down pretty quickly. Um, They had basically overall power over everything. They were above kings. They were above social powers. They were above political matters. Um, And the Pope was in charge of it all. And the Pope had basically bought himself into the position as well. These guys who ended up being Pope quite often had a lot of money to throw around to different bishops to get their position. And the other thing that you could buy was justification. Because the Pope started selling these things called indulgences, which basically meant to the highest bidder or just to super rich princes the Pope would sign a piece of paper that was meant to get you out of purgatory, which the Catholic Church thought was where you went when you died, straight into heaven. So you didn't have to spend time being purged of your sin after you died. You just went straight to heaven. The ordinary people couldn't access that because they didn't have the money. The richer you were, the more prayers you could buy from nuns to get you there quicker. And if you were super, super rich, you could buy this indulgence and just get straight in. Now, to me, that doesn't seem super kingdom-led. Um, But that was just the way things were. And I'm not saying there wasn't dissent at the time. There was a much wider kind of context than just this one guy. Um, But that was kind of where we were at. Um, And Martin Luther was a a monk. He was a theologian. He was a bit of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. wasn't destined to be anything amazing until one day he had a meeting with God. Now, Martin Luther kind of tells his story himself later on in his life and says he was swallowed by shame and by guilt and was convinced that whatever he did, he was never going to be justified before God. Kind of like our tax collector in our story. Until one day, he was walking through, probably between the university and where he was living, 
and there was a massive thunderstorm and he was nearly hit by lightning, nearly died. Um, and he had a radical encounter with God in that moment that led him to understand that he was saved by faith alone. By faith alone was he justified. By faith alone could he enter the kingdom. And this was brushed up into three concepts later on down the line. But basically, this idea kicked off what we now know as the Reformation. It transformed Europe and the rest of the world. And its impact is still being felt today um, in the Christian faith and throughout Europe. Um, the concepts this idea kind of got brushed up into were put down in Latin because Latin was the language that was used throughout Europe at the time. Um, and I only know what these mean because someone told me. Um, so I don't think I know Latin, I really don't. Um, so these were brushed up into sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, and sola scriptura, scripture alone. So by faith alone, can we enter the kingdom of heaven? By grace alone, God has saved us from our sin. By scripture alone, we can know God. So that means there is no priest that can stand between us and God. We can meet with God without anyone standing between us and him. It's a pretty radical change from what was kind of nor the norm at church at the time. Um, and you probably recognize quite a lot of what we believe now in that. Um, despite us not being a Lutheran church. Um, now, Martin Luther was not perfect. This didn't transform, in, transform him into some incredible Jesus-like figure. Um, he was a pretty sexist bloke. He was very anti-Semitic towards the end of his life. He wanted to remove chunks of the Bible because he thought they were just not relevant. Um, he also went against his own teachings, um, in theory at least, um, when he tried to put down kind of rebellions and uprisings of, of ordinary people and peasants. Um, and I say this because it, we need to recognize that meeting with God in the way that Martin Luther did, in the way that this tax collector did, it doesn't transform us into perfect humans. We need to continue to seek God's presence and God's ways and be willing to change when we're wrong and to own up when we're taking on the ways of the world that go against the ways of the kingdom. So no matter how transformative one single meeting with God can be, we need to continue to seek out God's presence and God's kingdom. And so bringing all of this together, the parable, the kind of random history lecture, um, what, what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of heaven? It teaches us that it is both easier and harder than we think to be justified and enter the kingdom of heaven. It involves being radically honest with ourselves and most importantly with God about the state of our lives and where we're at. And to be clear, this is not about beating ourselves up or being down on ourselves. If you feel overwhelmed by shame or guilt, that is not the kingdom. And that idea of constantly having to be aware of our own sin has led Christians to some very weird places over the years. So... Yeah, that's, that's not the way to go. Like we were singing about this morning, God wants to meet us with joy and usher us into the kingdom with celebration, not in shame and guilt. And actually, it's not about shame and guilt because it's as simple as being honest about what we can and what we can't do. Because we can't enter the kingdom under our own power, not by money, not by politics, not by performance. 
But we can meet with God and leave justified, no matter how we came in. And so that's kind of all I had to say this morning. Um, But I wanted to finish with kind of a few minutes um, where I'm going to pray and we're just going to sit and do business with God. Um, If this is the first time you've done that, that's fine. If this is the hundredth, God still wants to do it again. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand my cover to Ralph. Um, So, yeah, God, um, we thank you that to enter your kingdom, we just need to meet with you and be justified. Thank you, God, that it is by your way that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven and that there is nothing, no sin, no height, no depth, no distance that can stop us from entering your kingdom when you have made a way. So Holy Spirit, would you just come and meet with each of us now and do business with us? In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.